0: Welcome to another episode of Oral Max Facts. These are your hosts, Maria McBattery and Reedy Patel. Today, we are going to continue our conversation about management of unilateral condyle fracture, part two. We want to thank Dr. Edward Ellis for reviewing the script for this episode and making sure that we are bringing you guys the latest and greatest evidence-based information on this topic.
1: Yes, so today's episode is actually part of the ACOMS episode as well. This is part two to the condylar fracture. If you have not listened to our previous podcast on close treatment of condylar fracture, make sure you go back and listen to that one first, because then this lecture will make much more sense. So today we will continue our discussion with open treatment of condylar fracture. Many experts have shared their collective knowledge over decades in answering the question of which condylar fracture needs to be opened. To complicate things even more, the majority of current available literature are only case series, which has its inherent limitations, as we all know. So why don't we start with the indications of open treatment?
0: So really, when I first learned about Zyde and Kent absolute indications for condyle fracture, I was very excited. I thought this is a very good guideline to treatment plan the patients with condyle fracture. But as we all know, um, it was around 1983 that Zaid and Kent reported the absolute and relative indications for open reduction of mandible gondyle fracture. And given the advances in technology and and how much we have come uh, since then, we, we need to develop new guidelines and look at this concept with fresh eyes using our current technology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with the advent of CT scan and now that majority of patients get CT scan, it really changes the way we look at things because we actually have three-dimensional view that I don't think we had access to back in the day. So that definitely changes the guidelines for us these days. So, um, you know, we're not going to review the Zad and Kent guidelines here. You guys already know what they are. You can always go back and look at the literature as well. But why don't we look at where we are
0: today? Okay. Many experts have proposed that condyle fractures with a deviation of more than 10 degrees or a shortening of a ramus greater than two millimeter should be treated with an open reduction regardless of the fracture level. A study by Kelman suggests that open reduction by endoscopic technique for significant angulation of the proximal segment more than 30 degrees, and significant foreshortening of the ramus, more than 4 to 5 millimeter, or noticeable or bothersome to the patient, is needed. So let's stop here because you will see these numbers about height
1: reduction and angulation over and over in the literature, and I want us to understand where, where they are coming from. In 2005, a prospective randomized multicenter study in Germany looked at open versus closed treatment of mandibular condylar process fractures. In this study, 66 patients with 79 condylar fractures from seven centers were evaluated postoperatively for mandibular function, occlusal disturbances, and subjective pain. All condylar fractures were displaced, being either angulated between 10 to 45 degrees or the ascending ramus was shortened by more than 2 millimeters. These patients were then followed for 6 weeks and 6 months after treatment with radiographs, clinical, functional, and subjective parameters.
0: Correct anatomic position of the fragments was achieved significantly more often in open group in contrast to the cr- closed treatment group, as we can expect. And the ramus height reduction remained the same pre- and post-closed treatment even after six months follow-up. So let's look at the results in this study, okay? There are several
1: parameters they looked at, including mandibular movement, occlusion, pain, and subjective functional index. So in terms of mandibular movement, they found a significant difference in mouth opening between the two groups. So close treatment patients were able to open 41 millimeters while the open treatment group were able to open 46.5 millimeters. Patients in closed treatment were able to protrude only 4.7 millimeters, while the patients
0: in open treatment were able to protrude to 7.3 millimeters. Really, another parameter that they looked in the study was the occlusion, Right. After six months in the closed treatment group, seven out of 30 patients reported occlusal disturbance, whereas only three out of 36 patients reported occlusal disturbance in open treatment.
1: Okay, the next thing uh, they looked at was pain. So let's see how that affected open or closed treatment. The closed treatment group, 17 out of 30 patients complained of pain even at six months follow-up. While in the open group, only 8 out of 36 patients complained of pain, and this difference was also statistically significant. In subjective functional index, patients who had received close treatment had a lower
0: score compared to those with open treatment. And this is one of the key studies that has shown overall benefits of open treatment with mandible height reduction more than 2 millimeter and angulation of more than 10 degrees.
1: Mandible height reduction more than two millimeters and angulation of more than 10
0: degrees. What is the surgical goal of an open treatment? It's the same as when we try to treat it, and we mentioned in our previous episode, even we were going to do open or close. The outcome goals that we are trying to achieve is maximum opening with no limitation in function while restoring pre-morbid occlusion. Another thing unique to open treatment is the consideration for blood supply to the fractured condyle segment. One should minimize stripping of soft tissue from the fractured condyle process and maintain the attachment of the TMJ capsule and the lateral pterygoid muscle as much as possible. For example, if the periarticular approach is chosen, one should not enter the capsule of the joint as one might do for an intraarticular TMJ surgery. Why? Because entering the capsule for a fracture segment can disturb the already compromised blood supply. So what should we do? The dissection should be superficial to the capsule to a point inferior to where it attaches to the condyle process. Similarly, if one approaches the condyle process from a retromandibular or submandibular approach, one should strip soft tissue from the inferior portion of the condyle process only up to a point where the condyle attaches, and leaving the capsule intact will help maintain the important source of blood supply.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, Maryam. Blood supply and keeping the capsule intact so that your condylar segment doesn't die afterwards. The improvement in surgical approach came from better understanding of physiology of TMJ. So in order to make sure that open treatment is a biologically sound approach, we need to have an understanding for the blood supply to the condyle and the impact of different approaches with open treatment. The TMJ, as we all know, is supplied by a plexus of vessels. So in terms of condyle itself, the blood supply is from Multiple branches, the branch of the infralveolar artery coursing upward through the neck of the condylar process, as well as branches of the lateral pterygoid muscle through its attachment at the pterygoid fovea, as well as lush TMJ vascular plexus. So essentially, fracture of the subcondylar or the neck region of the condylar process can disrupt
0: the main blood supply to the condyle. That's why surgical access can further decrease this blood supply. So in order to maintain the blood supply, we have to think about our surgical approach. Also worth mentioning here is that the most feared complication of open treatment of a condyle fracture is facial nerve injury and nonunion. But there were very few initial case reports set the trend toward closed treatment of condyle fractures. But now with advanced technology in nerve monitoring and a stable internal fixation, the pendulum has shifted toward the open treatment of condyle fracture. So how do we choose what approach we want to the condyle? Well, essentially
1: it's it's based on surgeon's preference, but also based on the degree of displacement of the fracture and the anatomical site of fracture. Is it higher up or is it lower? So without going into too much detail here, I just wanted to touch upon different approaches to open treatment of condylar fracture. So open reduction and fixation of condylar fractures can be done via transpatial or intraoral approaches. The advantage of transpatial approach is that it improves your visualization and direct access to the fracture site compared with the intraoral techniques. The endoscopic technique can be performed intraorally or extraorally, as we all know. However, the endoscopic technique allows a smaller incision, less visible scar, and less risk of facial nerve injury in comparison to your traditional approach to condylar fracture.
0: And a lot, a lot of aggravation in the OR. I I feel
1: like uh, they do take a little longer, but I guess it all depends on the experience of the surgeon. If you're someone who's trained to do these with endoscopic technique, then you can probably knock them out much faster than someone like me who's not trained with endoscopic technique.
0: In general, the open approaches include periorecular approach, postorecular approach, submandibular approach, or resident approach, the facelift approach, and retromandibular approach, or Heinz approach. Treatment type is selected based on surgeon comfort level and considering the patient age, preference, fracture type, and fracture of the other side and the teeth status. So let's look at these different approaches and give them some examples. The retromandibular approach is the most versatile approach. It helps us to reach the low condyle neck and ramus. There are two variations of this technique transprodded and retroprodit. The transprodit technique, described by Heinz with modification by Dr. Ellis, provides the shortest distance with quickest access for the skin to the mandible. The branches of the facial nerve are frequently encountered. However, the complications with facial nerve weakens or injury seldom occur. The product technique requires an incision that is longer and is 2 cm posterior to the ramus, so it helps the dissection to proceed deep to the product gland and facial nerve. The disadvantage of this approach, as you guys might have worked this out in your mind already, is the dissection and the working distance between the incision and the condyle. So I think the high condylar neck fractures have a better
1: access with the pre approach through the TMJ capsule. So some of the ways we can stabilize these fractures are using a wire fixation, intramedullary pins, mini plates, and rigid compressive plates. In my practice, I just stick to a single or two semi rigid plates so that the segment is not rotating on its own. In fact, most plating companies now have special plates that they make for condylar fractures. So, depending on which company you use, Cynthia, Stryker, KLS, ask them to see their condylar plate and just try it out next time you're in the OR.
0: First, you have to convince your attending to open the condylar. I feel like sometimes. <laughs> They kind of be like, where's the absolute indications? And I'm like, let's look at the literature together. <laughs> the question then arises when we have multiple fractures of mandible, which one do you want to first fix? Do you want to fix the condyle fracture or the dentate segment? And that's also a controversial topic. So some of the sources such as AOCMF and Fonseco, recommend doing the dentate segment first. However, there's a body of literature out there that talks about fixating condyle first in order to reestablish the posterior facial height. So for now, let's look at the
1: evidence supporting open treatment and unilateral fractures in adult patients. So what we want to review is latest meta-analysis done by Dr. Ellis and colleagues. Dr. Ellis and Moraisi published an article called a surgical treatment of adult mandibular condylar fractures provide better outcomes than close treatment. So this title immediately gives me a sense of hope that maybe we're finally closer to the evidence-based answer on open treatment of condylar fracture. In this study, they performed a meticulous search and found 23 publications out of 905 articles that qualified for the study. These articles were randomized controlled trials, controlled clinical trials, and retrospective studies with reported outcomes of maximal incisal opening, lateral intrusion, protrusion, pain, malocclusion, chin deviation on mouth opening, and incidence of postoperative complications for patients treated by open reduction or closed treatment or had bilateral mandibular condylar fractures. In general, the results of this study showed that open reduction in tonal fixation was associated with better outcomes in regards to maximal incisal opening, lateral excursion, protrusion, lack of chin deviation, as well as malocclusion, all of
0: which were statistically significant. So now let's look at this number a little bit closer. There were 15 studies that compared the maximal incisal opening with closed treatment around 464, and open reduction internal fixation, and the number was 332 in that group, and they all concluded that patients with open reduction and internal fixation had better MIO outcome. A difference was merely 3.23 millimeter between the two groups. For lateral excursive movements, 15 studies were compared with closed treatment, N being 434, and open reduction internal fixation. Patients with open reduction internal fixation were found to have one millimeter more lateral excursive movement compared to the closed treatment. Even though one millimeter sounds small, the difference found to be statistically significant. Four studies compared the pain on visual analog scale after six months between these two groups, and they found that patients who underwent open reduction internal fixation had less pain overall. And lastly, but not least, 16 studies compared the malocclusion between these groups. Here, there was a significant difference favoring open reduction internal fixation group. Again, when open reduction internal fixation was used as a treatment, the incidence of malocclusion decreased by 59% compared with a closed treatment. How did they evaluate the malocclusion? It was based on the reported yes or no per different study method of evaluating malocclusion, such as clinical exams and radiographs.
1: So it sounds to me that based on the best available data and using the advanced analysis technique, we can say with some level of certainty that open reduction leads to superior clinical outcomes. But the verdict is out on the impact of these statistically significant differences at clinical levels, such as patient satisfaction and cost. So power is in numbers, my friends. As always, we need more data and a study with a higher impact score. Let me share this with you, as I'm sure I'm not the only one who faced this issue. I had a patient referred to my practice who had a history of bilateral condylar fractures treated with closed production. A year later, he presents with poor dentition with severe periodontal disease, anterior open bite, and modified condyles with full range of motion, MIO of 45 millimeters. And you know, these are the patients when you just wish that you had gotten to them earlier when the fractures happened and done an open reduction. Because realistically, now he needs prosthetic joints to address this open bite, which is a much bigger surgery.
0: I had a similar experience recently, really, actually. Uh, and we were thinking about doing IVROs to kind of like set the bite back. <laughs> and uh, oh, okay. sit, yeah, set the occlusion. But the occlusion was not good.
1: Isn't that what... Both um, condyle fractures present with already the condyles already loose. He's gonna wire them shut. No, know. no, the
0: patient, <laughs> the patient occlude the the patient. Oh, I uh, see. You the patient was after. Yes, yes, it was gotcha. after. It was after. So we were like the only way we could set the bite, and it was really bothersome to the patient. He was mm-hmm. like, "I just can't bite on anything." And the only thing we could offer was, you know, wait a few more months for the bones to completely heal. And then right. it will offer you like bilateral. IPRs. Yeah. And, and that's definitely a valid option for someone who has good dentition, you know? Yeah, exactly. Realistically, even after doing exhaustive literature review, there are many more questions that has remained unanswered on this already controversial topic. Like what is the long-term sequela of open reduction versus closed treatment? And most importantly, what are parameters that needs to be achieved in order for it to be a successful surgery? It would be nice if we can find the percentage of ankylosis, malocclusion, infection, and need for additional surgery with long-term follow-up and provide concrete data on it.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like um, this is still an avenue for further research and understanding and, you know, we're not the only ones treating these fractures. ENT does them, plastics does them, and even combining all these questions still remain unanswered.
0: Exactly. So what do we take away from today's episode? We need a standard guideline of what things to evaluate for, for in a patient that presents with a condyle fracture, both clinically and radiographically. A clinical exam should look at patient's age, occlusion, mandible mobility, and function. And a radiographic exam should look at the posterior ramus height and degree of displacement and location of displacement. And these simple steps can help us come to a decision on open versus closed treatment.
1: I hope we help clarify some of the gray area in this topic. And we know that there's more work that needs to be done. And hopefully 10 years down the road, we can do another review as an update on this topic. So we hope that you found today's talk as exciting as we did. If you did, then please go ahead and give us a five-star review and also like us on Insta. Thank you for listening to the ACOMS episode of our podcast. If you want your CE credit for this episode, please don't forget to answer the questions from this talk, which will be posted on ACOMS website at acoms.com slash oralmaxfacts.
0: Guys, we do love all the positive feedbacks and your participation on our Insta page. So please keep spreading the word on our podcast and let us know what you want to hear about next and we will make an episode just for you. Okay, so until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.